Okay, so we're looking at the Art Scroll uh, Sleek Coat. So the complete Art Scroll Sleek Coat, the New Sock Ashkenaz, and the preface, it talks about the mention of intermediaries. So the first thing we talked about was, uh, so Yosef, you were saying the part about Bounced Angel, was that the Ikarim 228? Yes, yeah. Okay, so Ikarim 228 says elsewhere, Rabbi Albo explains that although worshiping an angel is forbidden, showing reverence or honor to the angel as an emissary of God is permitted. For this reason, Joshua was able to bow to the angel that appeared to him in Jericho. See Joshua 5, 13 through 15. But one who bows to an angel as an act of worship is guilty of idolatry. Again, that's Ikarim 2.28. So what were your thoughts on that? Yes, yeah, so this is just for those that bring up the whole, oh, but the disciples worship Yeshua. And the concept of bowing down and what does all this mean? But also for those that say that we don't need an intermediary at all. I mean, the whole, the whole commentary here it's all about the mentioning of intermediaries and not only just a person, but even an angel who is an emissary of Hashem, which kind of throws that whole argument out that they're quoting from the sages here. Right. So in John chapter five, verse 43 is the key verse. But if we back up a little bit, it says, you pour over the scriptures because you presume that by them you possess eternal life. These are the very words that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from men, but I know you and that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my father's name and you have not received me. So there's emissary talk right there. So therefore, when he says, these are the word, the very words that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life, the whole understanding of whose words are the Mashiach's words, whose words are the words of the Torah. So the Mashiach is saying here, I have not come and my in my name, I've come in my father's name and you have not received me. So then he says, but if someone else comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe if you accept glory from one another, yet you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? So just the point of, you know, how we're supposed to reverence Hashem through the emissary of Hashem, just the same way that it's permissible to bow to this angel, not as an act of worship and idolatry, but reverencing the fact that this is an emissary of Hashem. Very good. So we have a note that just popped up. He's saying he isn't Hashem, but he is his extension. 
And that's where the understanding comes in that the emissary is an agent of the one who sent him. So he can act as a proxy, so to speak. Right. Okay. So do you want to go back to the beginning or um, you want to just go through the notes that I shared here? Either way, you can go right to the beginning. It doesn't matter to me. All right. So this is on page 31. So shouts out to Dr. Joe for uh, <laughs> pointing this out because I was, always, I was always like XXX1. I don't know what Roman numerals mean, but <laughs> 31. It says the propriety and permissibility of channeling prayer through angelic intercessors rather than directly to God is a point of halakhic contention. Footnote, it is not within the scope of this article to even attempt to reconcile the two sides in this century's old debate. We have only tried to show that each view is firmly entrenched and based on the tradition of millennia. Those wishing to study the issue further are advised to see the, ma the Mavo to Sidur Otsar Hatafilo, section three. So the one, go ahead. No, I think Shira has a question. I think she was trying to ask, I don't know. Yes, I have a question. When okay. you said, Emmett, and you were reading John, yeah, five. And then just five. five. And then you're saying that Yeshua said, but yet you receive from you receive someone else. That comes in their own name. Yeah. What does it mean? Do they have a habit of receiving other people as the emissary? Or what what does that mean? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so much as, you know, is it really about they were having people do that or try to look into the meaning of it? But to say that on the surface of this, you know, if someone is going to come to you with a message, for instance, there was a prophet, I'm blanking on his name, but he was speaking in opposition to the words of Jeremiah about the destruction of the temple. Jeremiah was saying, thus says the Lord. Y'all better get right. You know, it's going to be hard times ahead. Temple will be destroyed. You know, we need to repent and all these kinds of things. He did the yoke, uh, the, the wooden yoke upon his neck. This other prophet came, broke the yoke off the neck of Jeremiah. Also was like, no, this is what Hashem is going to do. He's going to break that yoke. There's not going to be any oppression. It's going to be peace. It's going to be all good. Da, 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 da. Never once did this false prophet mention, thus says Hashem. And also to mention that the, the whole connotation of the false prophet and, and preaching our own message is also connected to the fact of Jeremiah is a prophet that was dispatched by Hashem to go to Israel. We don't know anything about this other prophet being dispatched by Hashem to go to Israel and to teach this message. To connect that thought as well as the messiah says a house divided against itself cannot stand so how would it be that hashem sends jeremiah to say hey y'all need to repent and then be like well in the middle of them needing to repent i'm just going to go ahead and tell them they need to have peace so let's go ahead and send this other prophet and, and give two messages at the same time if Yeshua telling us this doesn't work for the house of Satan 
how much more so is this not going to work for the house of Hashem? Which gets into all other types of commentaries about the different flocks. You know, they're sheep not of this fold, you know, but they're going to be brought in and things like that. So anyway, Shamal has a tag. All right, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, because I'm familiar with that that prophet that was preaching uh, or prophesying against uh, Jeremiah. But it wasn't just him, though. It was like that entire generation. Uh, so Jeremiah was the only one calling for the people of Cuba. And like you said, saying, uh, thus says Hashem, uh, these other guys were basically, they basically were saying that Hashem wasn't going to do what, what the, uh, you know, all the things that Jeremiah was saying, but they weren't telling them that he, that he wouldn't do those things if they made Teshuva. So they left the Teshuva message out and said that everything was going to be all good and dandy, uh, but didn't preach, didn't basically, uh, it wasn't the same message as Jeremiah because they left the, 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 the Teshuva part out. Like everything's going to be all good and well if you make Teshuva, right? But, right, which which is actually a true statement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you do make Teshuva, you could actually take away or tear up the evil decree. Uh, yeah, that's, just, yeah that's, that's all I was going to say. Oh, Tadar So to bring that back to where we're going here, we're talking about John 5, where people are coming in their own name. So, Baruch Hashem. So now, it said, or the other thing I was going to think uh, before uh, we mentioned these other statements is that uh, during Rosh Hashanah, when we're blasting the Shofarot, we are uh, talking about particular angels taking the blast and weaving them into the parochid and reeling them into a crown to place upon Hashem's head. So that's in the Rosh Hashanah Machzor. I.e. Yeshua. Sorry. <laughs> That's one of the angels, yes. <laughs> uh, and the other thing, too, is there's uh, the whole idea and understanding of praying at the grave of a Zadik. Okay, so next sentence says, the debate revolves around supplications, such as, O oh, you who usher in pleas for mercy, or, O oh, angels of mercy, yeah. and except prayer uh so these are all uh titles and phrases of prayers that are actually used in the sleek code and it gives the page numbers here so what are you gonna say yeah i'm looking at it and we literally the chazan of the congregation oh angels of mercy uh servants of the supreme one entreat please before hashem so we're literally asking the angels to intercede for us in these prayers you know what comes you know what comes to mind as well when Saul says in first Corinthians, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Oh and have not charity, I have become a sounding, a brass, or a tinkling symbol. Just uh, comes up to my mind. I don't know if it's a direct connection, but it comes to mind when Paul talks of the tongues of men and of angels. Wow. Incredible. Okay. So it goes on to say, um, okay, so which requests ministering angels to bring our supplications and tears before God and to beseech him to accept them favorably. 
Some sleek coat do not go quite so far as to request angelic intervention, but nevertheless are not addressed directly to God. Some of these are the 13 attributes, which entreats not God, but his attributes. And again, when I was teaching this earlier, that blew my mind. We have a hand up and then Yosef, I think you're going to say something after, yeah, yeah. after Leah. Okay, I'm having a hard time locating this, but we've been trying to do Hillel's challenge to do the Birkat Hamazon at least after one meal a day. Mm -hmm. and, you know, that kind of goes well with our intermittent fasting. But anyway, <laughs> um, I'm thinking because this is still kind of new to me, but isn't there somewhere in there where it talks about how I haven't, I haven't, um, worshiped any prophets or angels or anything like that but then in another place like when we do the sabbath thing it's telling us about um in the zimros it's telling us you know we're praying that to the angels to asking god to you know to ask god on our behalf to be merciful with us and stuff like that so we're actually asking the angels because then it in the uh, Zimros on the um, Ribon Kol Hol. Haol Amin? Yeah, at the end of that one, it says, Oh, angels of peace, may your coming be for peace. Bless me for peace. Pronounce blessed upon my prepared table. You May your departure be in peace from this time and forever. You know, so in one hand, we're saying we don't worship any angels or prophets. But on the other hand, we're still asking them to put in a good word for us with Hashem. Right. Does that make sense? So, yeah, because there's a difference between worshiping them and uh, asking them to help us in our supplication. Right. And, you know, some people, and I don't know if this is correct or not, but some people have speculated that the Mashiach is, is Memtet. Well, isn't Memtet an angel? We, we right. shouldn't worship him. We, yes, show respect um, and deference, but he's not um, God. God is the only one we worship. So exactly. that's, that's all I was trying to say. Okay, so that's connected to the Barik Shemay, which is on page 437 in the Sidur. And it says... Um, thank, you, thank you, thank you. Yes, not in any man do I put trust, nor on any angel do I rely, only on the God of heaven, who is the God of truth, whose Torah is truth, whose prophets are true, and who acts generally with kindness and truth. What does John chapter 1 say about the Messiah is full of, what, kindness and truth? John chapter 1, that totally is a thing. Uh, but yet here we're talking about Hashem who acts generally with kindness and truth. It says, in him do I trust and to his glorious and holy name do I declare praises. And then my, mine says generously. Does yours say generally or generously? It says general. That's so weird. Because that gives yeah. two complete different ideas. And this is uh, in Aramaic. So What happens I, when you... When what? That's what happens when you try to translate uh, Aramaic or Hebrew. 
Yeah, because I'm over you know, here trying to be like, what does the Hebrew say? And it's like, it's not Hebrew, it's Aramaic, which is kind of Hebrew, but kind of different. <laughs> when you're generous, you're giving to a lot. When you're general, you're not making any distinction about who you give to. Wow. So that that's two very different concepts. That's why I was kind of surprised. Okay, so that goes to the fact that Hashem is no respecter of persons. And uh, again, this was in Avodah Zarah 11b as well, where it was talking about the reward of the Jew and the non-Jew alike in the Alam Haba, that Hashem uh, will give rewards generously to both. So in Hashem's mind, when it comes to the reward for doing the mitzvot, there is no Jew or non-Jew. Wow. And he used my Siddur and your Siddur to emphasize that. How deep yep. is that? Uh, that goes that goes back to the whole thing. Like it doesn't matter uh if a person's Jew or non-Jew, like uh anybody can sanctify themselves and become like the holy of holies. A Gentile who learns Torah is considered to be like a Kohen Hagado, high priest. Okay, go, Yosef. Yeah, no, also what comes to mind is just um that the interceding the angels and praying for the angels to intercede. It's just interesting because they've been studying the book of Enoch as well. And the angels in chapter 13 actually ask Enoch to intercede for them. And he says, no, basically I cannot do this because Hashem is in charge. And actually the angels weren't, we weren't made to intercede for the angels. The angels were, made to intercede for us they work for us and this is what they're they're pleading with ezra because ezra has really got authority over them and this also connects with first corinthians 6 3 don't you know that you will judge the angels and you know so this all kind of just plays into what i've been studying with enoch and how the angels actually work for us even yaakov and uh, the, the the fathers would even literally send angels to work for them right 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 so yeah that, that all comes to mind okay so going on it says that the 13 attributes are are what we entreat uh when we recite the 13 attributes and it says which pleads or which entreats god which entreats not God, but his attributes. Also, uh, it says some of these uh, entreatings that we have are to the Holy Torah. It says, which pleads with the Torah to act as an advocate on Israel's behalf. And it, it, it entreats may the throne of glory which invokes God's celestial throne to intercede and pray for us. Bezalel has a hand up. Go for it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. This is a good topic. I'm just going off what Shlomo said that, you know, it's hard to, un hard to translate from Aramaic to Hebrew. The question I have for the group is, is it true that angels only understand the holy tongue, which is Hebrew? <laughs> That's my question. Well, we know we know that Gabriel gave the 70 languages 
to Yosef right before he went before Paro, uh, after they took him from the, uh, the prison to bring him before Pharaoh to interpret his dreams, which by the way, was on Rosh Hashanah, side note. Uh, and then this is where Yosef had his haircut. They changed his clothes and everything like that. So in the midst of all of that, uh, they gave him the 70 languages or G Gabriel did. So at least Gabriel has that ability also to connect with that, the <laughs> fact that uh, the sages tell us that if we want the angels to intercede for us in our prayers, we should not pray in Aramaic because they don't understand that. Go wow. <laughs> it's, uh It's interesting. Okay. We're gonna, I was gonna go uh, basically, this is the reason why we actually whispered Baruch Shem Kevod Mafutole Alam Ba'ed because that is I can't hear you. Hang on. <laughs> I, was, I was saying that, uh, that this is the reason why we actually whispered Baruch Shem Kevod Mafutole Alam Ba'ed is because the angels understand this and it actually comes from them according, according to one source, right? That Moshe was in Shemaim he learned this from the angels, and so he added it uh, as part of the Shema, as our, our recitation of the Shema. Uh, but in Aramaic, when we do the Kaddish, we can respond, Yehei Shemei Rabbah Mevorach Ve'ad Olam, which means the same thing in Hebrew. But the reason why we say it with vigor when we say in the Kaddish is because they can't understand it. And so that's why, that's why we're able to pronounce it so loud during the cottage, but we whisper it in the Shema. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> One more, we miss you, bro. <laughs> Side note, what else is coming up? Yom Kippur. Wow. There's going to be a time where we get to scream out, Baruch Shem Kivod Makuto Lil Lamba Ed. Right. Yes. It is during Yom Kippur. Because somebody's not around. <laughs> huh? And we're like the, we're like because the so, somebody's not around. Oh my gosh. At that moment. You Good. know who I'm talking about. <laughs> the Satan. Shira. What is wrong with her? She's out of Shira. <laughs> Very nice. Oh man. <laughs> Okay, Yosef, anything else? We're about to move forward. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just another thing that comes to mind is like, you know, the seven, the Sanhedrin had to learn all 70 languages. Yes. Know? So I'm just wondering if there is a connection, but that just entered my mind, but maybe something will come up more to elaborate on that. Got you. And there is also the, uh, the insight that Mordecai from Mordecai and Esther was given the 70 languages as well. Right. So right. the mastery of the languages. And right. uh, Moshe Rabbeinu spoke in the 70 languages when giving the Sefer Dabari, the last 37 days of his life. And, and Yosef. Yeah, Yosef has a deep. And Hashem, when he spoke forth the Torah and Shemot, Exodus chapter 20 spoken in the 70 languages right and when we were told to go into the land of israel 
uh, we set up these stones with overlaid in plaster on the borders right. of Israel that were also in the 70 languages. Right. One more, 10th of Tibet, the sages had to translate the Torah into Greek, oh, which was yes. another thing that had to happen, which is technically one of the languages you do not translate the Torah into. So the miracle of the 70 sages, yes, wow. who had to translate it, and they all translated it the same exact way. And when translating the Torah into Greek in particular, you have uh, all sorts of uh, obstacles that you have to try to translate that and make that uh, kosher. So go for it, Leia. So this, these 70 languages. So when in the, um, the book of Acts, when people were speaking in tongues, I've, I've always understood that to be real languages. It'd be like if somebody who was never taught French could all of a sudden speak French, you know? So when you're talking about these 70 languages or mastering this 70 languages, does that mean that God is giving that person or people's the mastery of languages that they haven't learned. In other words, like the gift of tongues. Right. That's part of the Ruach HaKodesh because the whole point was to be able to broadcast the Torah to those who've come from all over the place to Jerusalem for Shabbat. So how do you help all those who Hebrew may not be their strong language uh, to receive the fullness of the re-giving of the Torah again, like we do for every Shabbat. So that was the significance of that in Acts chapter 2. Wow, that's so cool. By the way, yeah. uh, on the topic of languages, I believe there's a Midrash that says that Abraham, uh, basically, one of the things that he did at the, uh, you know, whenever the Tower of Babel, when everybody got got the got different had the different languages he actually taught them the languages he was the only one that knew all the languages and had to go to each group and teach them their own language on what where what word meant and all that kind of stuff so wow, wow. uh the chat is mentioning the 70 steps of uh pharaoh's throne up to 70 steps leading up to Pharaoh's throne. So that was another thing. Yeah, Which, that's why Joseph had to know the 70 languages. That's why Pharaoh appointed him. Yeah, but Pharaoh didn't know Hebrew, right? Right. That was the only one he didn't know. And he asked him not to tell anybody that he didn't know. <laughs> so you have this understanding of uh, 70 plus one. Is that what that is? <laughs> nice, nice. Sanhedrin yeah. 70 plus one. <laughs> Some of, yes. yes <laughs> I was just thinking about that from Leia. There we go. Ascending as well, right? Ascending to higher. Ascending. Yeah, yeah Brukashim. Okay, so in the Jewish wisdom of the numbers, oh goodness. It says on page 321, the generation into which Abraham was born was unified as a whole of human civilization. Um, there were one people speaking a common tongue. So the word Lashon, 
is the word we're talking about here, which is the word for the languages, is also the word for tongue, which we talk about Lashan Hara, like evil tongue, evil speech. And so the speech, the language, the tongue, that's all Lashon in Hebrew. So going on, it says, but rather than use this unity as the tool to serve the one God, the idolatrous generation constructed the Tower of Babel to wage an ideological battle against the Holy One. God frustrated their plans by dispersing them across the world. They were divided into 70 nations who would speak 70 distinct languages. Each nation's unique identity and distinguishing features have their parallel in their corresponding 70 administering angels in the spirit realm. The dispersion from Babel led to a state of confusion and mixture, which are the actual meanings of the word Babel. This divergence away from God to worship many idols and forces of nature led to the nation's expulsion from one central habitat into many directions. This is the significance of Shavuot, bringing back that dispersion. The end gathering, if you will, is actually Shavuot and why the Torah was spoken in the 70 languages. And 70 disciples were sent by Yeshua. Okay. So that were by. <laughs> Anything else? Anybody? Before we move on? <laughs> okay. So it says... Those opposed to the recitation of such prayers cite a passage in the Jerusalem Talmud to support their view. When a man supported by a patron finds himself in difficult straits, he does not suddenly enter his patron's chambers to demand assistance or succor. Rather, he stands at the door and asks a servant or a family member to, to announce his presence. Even then, his success is not assured, perhaps. He will be admitted. Perhaps he will not. But with the Holy One, blessed is he, such is not the case where he says, if one is in difficult straits, he should call. He should not call to the angel Mikael or to the angel Gabriel. Rather, he should call to me and I will answer him immediately. That's from the Yerushalayim Barakot 9.1. So, again, some of these prayers in the sleek coat that don't entreat Hashem directly, the Jerusalem Talmud says, yeah, go directly to Hashem, which just goes to say, why codify such prayers that are not directly to Hashem in a sefer or a sedur about repentance <laughs> and being brought near to Hashem? So... It goes on to say the Rishonim expound on and expand this prohibition in the fifth of his 13 principles of faith. Maimonides writes, it is the blessed one whom it is proper to worship, to exalt, to propagate his greatness and to fulfill his commandments. But one must not do so for anything of lower existence than God himself, such as angels, the stars, the spheres, the elements, or whatever is composed of them. It is likewise improper to pray that they act as intercessors to present our prayers to him. Only to him shall one's thoughts be directed, and all besides him shall be ignored. Rambam, Pirush HaMishnayot, Sanhedrin 10. 
So that's going against all this. Right. So Rambam is definitely in direct opposition of it. So now how do we uh, come to a conclusion? I think it's essentially how we started it when we were talking about like, you know, what, how are you actually doing these things? Are you actually praying angels? Right. We also got to remember that Rambam is always putting a fence, especially a, a strict fence, to make sure that people are not led into idolatry. Like he goes beyond, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also more here. So, because the way that the, uh, okay, hold up. Lamech were 777 years when he died. Very interesting. All the sevens there. Um, so the the preface here, it, it basically develops out like a fullness of thought. So basically we keep reading. We can develop what Shomo just said as well. So it says Nachmanides writes similarly. So there's one time when Rambam and Ramban are actually in agreement with each other. <laughs> Here we go. The third form of idolatry is considering the angels capable of serving as intermediaries between God and his worshipers. Realize that even to pray to them for this purpose is forbidden to us. Ramban on Torah Hashem Temima. In later generations, the Maharal of Prague wrote strongly against supplications addressed to angelic advocates. In the course of his argument, the Maharal distinguishes between celestial beings on the one hand and the patriarchs, matriarchs, and righteous Zadokim of every generation. Why may one seek the intercession of human intermediaries, yet be prohibited from beseeching the angels to advocate his cause? So that's another dynamic now. It's like, so you can ask a human to be an intercessor for you, but you can't ask an angelic force. So this is the question he's bringing up. He says, man is commanded from beseeching angels to advocate his cause. Man is commanded to perform acts of kindness with his fellow man. Thus, by requesting another person to pray for his welfare, one presents his fellow with an opportunity to perform an act of kindness. Angels, on the other hand, are neither commanded nor given free will to perform such acts. They may only do the specific deed or deeds for which they were created and regarding which they were commanded by God. A request to an angel must therefore be considered not just asking for friendly help, but a prayer. And heaven forbid that any Jew should utter such a prayer. Netivot Olam Nasiv Ha Avodah 12. So, quick note, real quick, and then we have a tag on the court. It says, uh, I was thinking about how the Zadikim are higher than the angels. Again, this is in Devarim Rabbah. So, I'll cue that up while we're also sharing. So, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just. You're giving a person. 
uh, when they're when you're asking them to pray for you, right? Uh, we all know the mitzvah is actually is how we cleave to Hashem. So when you give them this mitzvah, the prayer is actually cleaving to Hashem himself. So kind of that was my line of thought when you said that. Wait, wait, wait. Repeat that one more time. You broke up at the beginning, too. Hang on. So I was saying that uh, the the merit there, when you, you talk about the, the, a person being higher than the angel, uh, is because a person could do a, mit, a mitzvah, right? So we know that a mitzvah is how we attach ourselves to Hashem. So right. in, when they pray for, when you're saying, hey, pray for me, you're giving them the opportunity to attach this this prayer to Hashem himself through the mitzvah. Got it. Okay. Uh, Yosef? Yeah. Also, just to get your thoughts on this, uh, uh, this may not be actually directed to prayers to the angels, but even uh, the bedtime Shema, where we... Uh, we mention it says the God of Israel may Michael be at my right, Gabriel at my left, Uriel before me, and Raphael behind me, and above the presence of Hashem. And right. it says that uh, in the footnotes, in the name of Hashem, God's angels surround you at his command. Michael performing his unique miracles. Gabriel, the emissary of his high, of his almighty power. Uriel, who bears the light of God before you. Raphael, who brings healing from him. Just want your thoughts on that as well. Thoughts is in like why? Why do we have that particular bracha? Or well, I mean, it almost looks like we're asking the angels to intercede for us as well. By mentioning them. Yeah. Does it have any footnotes on it? No, just just showing the, the attributes of these four angels. Well, because remember, too, there's the uh, the understanding of Mikael, Gabriel, Uriel, and Raphael. They're archangels. So they're heads of divisions of angels. There, there we go. Shamo just mentioned four sides of the camp. <laughs> so, right. But we know that as uh, as above, so it is below. So the way we encamped around the Mishkan is the way that the angels encamp around the throne of Hashem. So you have the four, four archangels being like the four divisions of the encampments. So the mm -hmm. archangels are actually, they can do more than one mission at a time. Mm -hmm. And so you can go back to seeing uh, Raphael coming to heal Abraham for the uh, Brit Milah that he just went through when we look at Parsha Vayera. Right. Okay, Shira. Yes, uh, whenever we talk about the, the Ribbon for the Saturday for Shabbat, mm -hmm. it says, all angels of peace, may you come in be for peace. Mm -hmm. Bless me for peace, pronounce blessed upon my prepared table. May your departure be for peace from this time and forever. Amen. Now, here it says, may your coming be for peace. I don't see this as I'm praying for the angel to bless me. I am praying that maybe he came to fulfill a peaceful mission. 
that maybe he came, he was sent by Hashem in peace to pronounce peace and blessing upon my table. Not that I'm asking him to do that for me. Is I think it goes with what Rabbi Chuberman always talks about, the fact that we now we know that we can interfere with things that we relate to, right? He's always talking about quantum physics, quantum mechanics and stuff like that. There are yeah. particles that they can interact and they change according to what we are, we, how do we see it? So, and that's how I understand that the end of this prayer it's not that I'm praying for the angel to do something for me. It's that I'm praying that maybe the, he was sent to do those things for me. That's how I All see right. it. So I don't know what you guys say. All right. Go, Shoma. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if this has, uh, if this helps with it, but I've, I've heard this uh, from Adrash before that, uh, you know, when we say Shalom, when we sing Shalom Aleichem, the first stanza is the only one that we don't talk about the angels having Shalom. We don't say Malachi, right? Uh, we say uh, Shalom Aleichem, Malachi Hasharet. And then the rest of them, we say Malachi Hashalom, right? We say angels of Shalom. Right. And the first stanza is because they're not in Shalom when they first arrive, uh, when they first get there. Uh, because that's the whole, the whole thing behind uh, whenever they, whenever they're trying to, so you get the one angel that accompanies you and the bad angel that accompanies you, depending on what, what the situation is of the house when he, when they get there, the angel, uh, whether you know, Drew uh, gets home and he has Shabbat candles lit and hot and the, uh, the dinner table set, uh, then the evil angel is supposed to respond, Amen, right? This may be this way th uh, next week. The evil angel responds, Amen. If it's the other way, then the, the good angel has to respond, respond amen. But until one of the angels says amen, they're not in agreement yet. So they're like arguing before they get, before they get there. And so that's why in the first stanza, we they're not angels of shalom yet. But the, the last three stanzas, they are. Uh, because one way or the other, they've already come to an agreement. Beautiful. That's yeah. Right. And uh, go, oh, go ahead. The shalom thing, like, uh, I, I don't know if that helps with, that second part of the reborn called how Lamin because um, I think that's the because it's right after the the Shalom Aleichem so I'm just kind of thinking there yeah yeah it's actually it's uh it's actually bookended because we say the same thing during Shalom Aleichem as we say during the reborn called how Lamin so we have like a bookend uh, prayer and then we continue on with the the seder for the night so the sources Shabbat one nineteen b on the chat real quick on the bedtime Shema about the four angels surrounding us. Um, that was the, the point that was mentioned. Uh, it says the bedtime Shema, we ask for all the archangels to surround us. So it's more of uh, having their protection and things like that. The other thing that we should think about is when we uh, do a mitzvah, we create angels. And uh, even some of the prayers that we recite, we can, we can speak forth you know, angelic or uh, actual energies into existence. This is why life, the power of life and death is the power of the tongue. Life and death is in the power of the tongue kind of thing. So you can actually 
through the the Brocco to the Sidur, you're speaking these things out into your existence. So also Gamatria has the same, or also Amain has the same Gamatria as Angel. Good night. Wow. That is just uncalled for. Um, that was from <laughs> Shomo, of course. Okay. So one, Shabbat 119b is the source of this, what we're talking about. The uh, another statement concerning the importance of saying vaya or vaya kulu on Shabbat. So part of the Kiddush bracha. It says Rab Chizda said in the name of uh, Mar Ukva, whoever prays on the eve of the Sabbath and says vaya kulu, the two ministering angels that escort a person home on the Shabbat Eve, place their hands on his head and say to him, and your iniquity will depart and your sin will be atoned. So when you say the Kiddush, you're getting blessed by your two angels that escorted you home and your sins are being forgiven when that happens. And this is all happening while you're holding up a cup of wine. So imagine that when Yeshua says, this is the cup of the covenant. And he's doing the seder with his Talmudim. So going on to say that uh, the footnote says Isaiah 6, 7, the Torah states concerning one who holds testimony that he has been called upon to give which is Leviticus 5.1, and he shall bear his sin. Thus, when a person fulfills his obligation to attest to God's creation of the world, the angels tell him, and your iniquity will depart. The two angels are assigned to a person for every mitzvah that comes his way, one to become his defender in the heavenly court, should he perform the mitzvah, and one to serve as his prosecutor, bad angel, should he fail to perform it. The performance or non-performance of the mitzvah, however, has ramifications beyond the tally of the particular deed. Performing the mitzvah properly strengthens a person's hand to continue performing the mitzvah and weakens the yetzaharas, the evil inclinations, resistance to future performance of this mitzvah. Thus, the good angel blesses the person that his home be suitably prepared to greet the Shabbat the following week. So we're preparing for next Shabbat while we're in the current Shabbat. <laughs> we haven't even got started yet. We're like, yeah, so next Shabbat, uh, can we make sure this happens again? Can uh, we make sure our evil inclination, the, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and the, all of that stuff, may that be weakened in our life? That's what we're saying during this bracket. So, it says the good angel blesses the person that is home be suitably prepared to greet the Shabbat the following week. And even the bad angel is forced to answer. Amen. So your prosecutors, your enemies, uh, David says you shall have your table set before your enemies. Well, how about that? Pun intended on so many levels with the Arab Shabbat table. Uh, it says that uh, by the same token, failure to perform a mitzvah properly weakens the person's resolve to perform it properly the next time and strengthens the Yetzirah's resistance to it. Uh, in the chat, it said a mitzvah creates a, or begets another mitzvah. So when you do one commandment, it leads to another one. 
Also, the same is true that if you do a sin, it, it leads to another sin, which is the importance of repenting uh, as soon as you can, as soon as possible, because you'll break the cycle right there. That if you if you continue on in sin and you're not repentant, you're going to stay in this perpetual cycle of uh, increasing the uh, the aspects of impurity in your life and all sorts of other damaging things. So thus, if he fails to prepare his house properly, the bad angel wishes this failure on him for the following week. And the good angel is forced to say, Amen. And it, uh, so there's that uh, Shabbat 119b. Uh, then over in Devarim Rabbah 112, it says another explanation of how Yisrael will be like God in the future. Side note, Israel is going to be like God in the future. Uh, yeah, that's that's right here in this book. This book. Wow. That makes complete sense. It I'm going to let you read it for yourself. I'm putting it on the screen. I don't even know if it's going to show up. What Midrash Rabbah is that, bro? <laughs> twins. Hashem and Israel are twins. Good night. Uh, this is the Midrash Rabbah 112. This is the Kleinman edition from Artsbro. No, but like uh, which uh, Devarim or? Yeah, Devarim. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, okay. it makes complete sense because... What I've been saying all along is when Hashem, when everything comes back, his name will be one. He will only be, he will only be. And Israel will be like, basically it says God, right? Like we're going to be, be like God in the future. Yeah. We'll be attached to him, but yeah, I'm not going to even try to explain it, but it makes sense. I'm not going to try Let's it. put it this way. Here's the text. Here's what you're trying to say, bro, because this is what you're thinking. I know you are. It says, Moses said to the people of Israel, today you are only like the stars, but in the future to come, you will be la rove, i.e. you are destined to be similar to your master, i.e. God. It says the word la rove is written, uh, quick Demetria 232. Does that ring a bell to anything? Not that I know of. Okay. It is written without a bob. And hence can also be read as la rav, which is to the master, i.e. you will be similar to the master. Does not Yeshua say it's enough for the servant to be like his master? And then we just read in the Messiah text before the agreement Hashem and the Mashiach made about suffering for all the souls uh, who would uh, be able to be uh, rectified, the stillborn and all that. And Hashem was like, yeah, so your suffering will be like my suffering because my my temples have been destroyed. My people are exiled. Don't you see the dew that is on my head? And this is related to the, the drips that were coming from the head of the Mashiach and the Garden of Gethsemane and the whole anguish and the suffering that he was having. Uh, we, we would be like Adam before the fall. It says because or be holy because I am holy. OK, lots of stuff happening all at once. OK, but the rest of this comment says. The word today in this verse is understood as an allusion to this world. So today, which is why today, if you'll hear his voice, like then the Mashiach will come kind of thing like that. So there's that connection. Yeah. Go ahead. And just on the thought of being one with Hashem, you know, we say in God's might in the Shimoni Ezra, 
we say umi dome lach, like who is comparable to you? And dome is uh, it's neshama uh, neshama. I had a thought, but it's gematria with with the soul, but. I got to get back to you. I'm just, it's comparing the domain okay. is comparable to us. I just lost it, but it's there. I'll come back. All right. Sham. Hop in whenever. Okay. So it says, how so? How are we going to be like our master? It says, it is written here, i.e. with regard, again, Devarim Rabbah 112, just for the record. It is written here, i.e. with regard to God for Hashem, your God, he is a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.12 also connects, to, also connects to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. Our God is a consuming fire. Goes on to say here that, one moment, everyone. Here you go. All right goes on to say, and it is written with regard to Israel and the future to come, and the light of Israel will be like fire, and his holy one will be like a flame, Isaiah 10, 17. Trying to get adjusted here. Okay, so that footnote says, just as one would fear an encounter, so to speak, with God, who is a consuming fire, so too would the nations of the world fear an encounter with Israel. These are things that are coming up. So you, you think about how all the anti-Semitism in the world is going crazy right now. And it's just like, this is uh, future things that are going to occur. But anyway, it says, Rabbi Levi Barhama said, if one who worships idolatry is destined to become like it as it is stated those who make them should become like them whoever trusts in them psalm 115 8 one who serves the holy one blessed be he will not uh will he not certainly become like him and it says one who worships an idol will be obliterated like idolatry with no possibility of revival one who serves God will certainly be like him and that he will share with him his power to bless and decree. This is based. <laughs> this is based on the principle from Sota 11a that God's measure of beneficence is greater than his measure of retribution. So then it goes on to say. Uh, one who serves the Holy One, blessed be he, will he not certainly be like him? And from where do we know this is indeed so? For it is written, blessed is the man who trusts in Hashem, then Hashem will be his security. Jeremiah 17, 7. We say that in the Birkat Hamazon, the blessings after we eat bread. Another explanation, Rabbi Abba said, in the future to come, the enclosure of the righteous will be further in, i.e. closer to God than the ministering angels. And the angels will ask the righteous, what laws did the Holy One blessed as he establish today? Rabbi Levi, Levi Bar Kanina said, 
Do not wonder how this can be. For even in this world, the enclosure of the righteous was at one time farther in than that of the ministering angels. I.e., even in this world, there are certainly great individuals whose merit or who merit that their enclosure is farther in than the ministering angels. Therefore, it should not be a surprise that in the future to come, this will be the lot of all the righteous. So, uh, so yeah, the Varim 112, just speaking about how Yisrael will be like Hashem in the future. Which, you know, we really extend that out to the Mashiach because, you know, he was given the, the right and the access and the authority to really uh, operate as Hashem's agent within creation. So that which is beyond creation, because, you know, Hashem has to humble himself to acknowledge the heavens and the earth. So like the only way creation can exist is for Hashem himself to like contract who he is to make a small space for creation to exist. So when you think about that whole concept of uh, how Hashem can be expressed and what his will looks like in a finite form, you know, this is why the Torah, the Zadikim, you know, the, the prayers that we're talking about, the mitzvot, the 13 attributes, the 10 sephirot, like these are uh, expressions of he who is beyond, you know, all, all existence. Okay, I don't know if people raised hands or dropped comments, but I just looked and there's like 31 comments. Somebody said tag. Is that true? Okay, go ahead and tag. <laughs> Shlomo has a tag. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Y'all got to help me. I was, I was doing a lot of stuff at one time. <laughs> You were saying all that about the closeness to Hashem being like becoming like Hashem. It, it really uh, clicked me because that's that's actually the time we're we're getting back into that that phase where Adam was created, and when Adam was was created, I mean we we have that same ability to tap into that as we're coming back into that period of time. Uh, so, anyways, this comes from this book here. Mode Hashana. Well, he says, he says that he says this about King David. He says David defines the way the, the way Hashem runs the world with the following words: "To you, Hashem, belong the greatness, the strength, the splendor, the victory, and the beauty. For all that is in heaven and on earth is yours. To you, Hashem, belongs the kingdom." And he talks about that there's seven midot by which Hashem conducts himself, and emphasizes the fact of the attribute of Malchut, the kingdom. It says, this is separate from the other midot, but this appears in its own phrase. To you, Hashem, belongs the greatness, the strength, for all that is in heaven and earth is yours. And then later it says, uh, to you belongs the kingdom. To Hashem belongs the kingdom. So he breaks down and says that there's actually three stages in which Hashem created the world. And he says that the world, the creation of the world had three stages. The creation itself before man existed. The creation of man and his recognition of Hashem's greatness. The third stage, and the reason why, uh, the reason why I want to bring this up is because this is kind of what we're talking about. 
uh, Torah learning and mitzvah observance, which is how we actually cling to Hashem. Uh, so I want to just emphasize that because uh, this is how you could, this is your lit litmus test to see like what actual stage that you're actually in. Now, this third stage is right? Hashem is infinite. Like, when can we ever reach, truly reach Hashem, right? So, so what you're talking about as far as like being close to Him, it says that it's that it basically, hang on. Says this third stage is when man is not satisfied with the regular order. It is not enough for him just just, just to be in the world and to see the glory of Hashem's kingdom revealed. He wants more, so he fulfills the mitzvot in order to attach himself to Hashem and thereby expresses his wish to see a greater revelation of the glory of Hashem's kingdom. The more a person does mitzvot in this way, the more he attains closeness or attachment to Hashem. And he thereby receives more from the Shefa of Hashem. But anyways, that just and when you were reading that, so it made me made me think of this. So, um, anyways. <laughs> You know, it's interesting that we say that Israel will be like God, the Midrash. And this always comes up in Bereshi's, uh chapter 2, verse 20. It says, Vaihra ha'adam shemog, and the man assigned names, Lucho ha'behema ul'of ha'shemayim. To all the cattle and to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field, but as for man, he did not find a helper to correspond to him. And Adam, it, usually it says, Adam, Adam, here it says, Adam. And you know, it's interesting. Because when Israel is going to be all like Hashem, like Adam, I believe, was always in the mind of Hashem. And he becomes manifested, but he's made in Hashem's image. And uh, Adam, what do they say about all Israel? All Israel is in Adam. And uh, this is just interesting on this verse in the Hebrew here. I'll show you guys. I've talked about this before. Maybe some of you heard it, but it says, Ula Dom, which is the numerical value of 45, uh, Adam. And then you have this trope. It's called the Zakef Gadol. I don't know if you can really see it on my camera here, but there's a trope over the Dalit. And why the Dalit? I remember the Rami Mapanu actually says, Dome Lach, that's what I was thinking of. Who is comparable to you? And he says, Adam. The trope is a Vav and two dots, basically, above the Dalit. So it, it it's almost, he says, it's a Vav and two Yuds. 
which equals 26. Who is comparable to be you comparable to you? Adam. And it's like Adam, he was almost hinting that this is like Adam Kadmon, similar to Hashem. Almost like and Yeah, and this is just uh, alluding to kind of what the Midrash is almost saying, I believe. And just the comparable of Adam having the authority and comparable to Hashem. 44, 20 plus 6 plus 12 plus 8. Yud, Yud is 20. A plus A. Yeah, never mind. I'm just doing some math in my head here. But uh, the Rami Mapanu actually says that Adam Kadmon is like similar. And this is just so mystical that it's almost looking like it's, it's almost looking like it's saying Adam is God. Not yeah, and that you could quickly see how that is uh, shown in the Mashiach as well, which is why there's... Uh, the understanding that's put out there from a Christian thought that Jesus is God. Yeah. And I actually believe that Adam is Mashiach. Right. Yeah. I would agree with that too, because, and sorry, I'm not intact, but just, just to kind of land back off that, uh, the fact that Adam really understanding Adam helps us understand Mashiach. Uh, because if, if, and this is this is uh, something that I try to. I feel like we all know this, but it's something something that a lot of people don't really know. Uh, and it's the fact that you know, if if we're going to call Mashiach Hashem, which obviously we don't, we all know that he's not. Then you have to say you have to say the same thing about Adam, you know. Uh, and because Christians will will straight up say, no, Adam was just a man, you know. And uh, it's like, well, what? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, which one is it? <laughs> yeah, which one is it? You know, so it's like, you know, anyways. Uh, but yeah, I think understanding Adam is very, very crucial. So I, I agree yeah. with that. Well, remember, Adam was born of a virgin, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Because, there's... you know, he was made without human hands, but came forth from the earth, you know, directly from Hashem. Bingo. And that's why Yeshua Mashiach had to be to do Mita Kenegan Mita to do Tikkun all the way back to Adam. What's interesting is also this is why all Israel is going to be like God or Mashiach because it's the sages even say, or even the New Testament says, we will be like Mashiach. We will see him as he is. Right. And just a midrash as well. The name of Mashiach is stated. We've talked about this before. Uh, may his name endure forever as long as the sun. May his name be perpetuated, which is uh, alluding to Yanon, when you, which is the name for Mashiach. And when you separate, when you remove the two noons and place them with the two Hays, you have the Midrash says Mashiach is going to have the name of Hashem, basically. The right. same, yeah. 
That's codified yeah. in Talmud as well, that the two noons will be interchanged for the two Hays. Yes. Adam. That's right. So the other thing to think about, too, uh, just as we talked about the made without human hands, you know, Adam came from Adama, which is Rukashem. Uh, so Adama is feminine, right? So Miriam is also an extension of Adama because she also is made from dust because all mankind is, right? So technically, when Hashem brings forth the Mashiach from the womb of Miriam, it's just through a human who was taken from the earth as opposed to taken directly from the earth like Adam was. Just the whole another uh, explanation and expounding on that. Just to go back to something else as well about this time that we're in with Rosh Hashanah, we have the whole uh, understanding that there's a return to the place of our origin. And this is brought down by, uh, stand by, uh, Rabbi Levi Yitzhak explained that his story, who was really our story on Rosh Hashanah, we restored the king of the world to his throne when we accepted his Torah amidst the sounding of the great shofar. So we remind him of that favor we did for him on our day of judgment. So it says Rosh Hashanah, every being returns to its origin. This king and this wise man that had that also had to return to their origin. The wise man had to return to that place where he first recognized the king to the point that there was no possibility that he would not do all he could to assist the king, never uh, mind rebel against him. So there's a whole parable that was brought down about that wise man who <clears throat> was encountered by a king who was estranged from his palace. No one was recognizing the king. The king was looking for a way back home and all this kind of stuff. He came across this wise man who was able to get the king back to the throne and back to the palace. And the king clothed him and adorned him in all these glorious robes and things like that. And this is rec uh, related to Yom Kippur. When we're standing before Shem, we look beautiful. We look amazing. We look adorned and uh, decked out and things like that before Shem. So on Rosh Hashanah, we're actually going back to when the wise man first brought the king back into the palace, the clothes that that person was wearing. So on Rosh Hashanah, we have this aspect of uh, the parable saying this is when the king was returned to his throne by, you know, after he was estranged from the kingdom and things like that. So when we appear before Hashem on Rosh Hashanah, it's actually Hashem looking back at us or Sika, when we are here before Shema Rosh Hashanah, we do that, we place him as king, we go into Yom Kippur, the 10 days later, Hashem is seeing us, and now we're up for our judgment day, and it's like, well, who are you? And it's like, well, 10 days ago, I was the person who looked a different way. I looked like I didn't have any uh, righteousness or anything, but I was the one who put you back in your kingdom and placed you back on your throne, so your judgment on Yom Kippur is directly related to what you did with Hashem on Rosh Hashanah. When you returned to your place of origin, when you were actually able and granted the opportunity 
to go back to the level of Adam before creation, which is one day ultimately where we'll go. But right now in, in uh, a semblance of that, we're looking at the fact of um, the, the metaphor, if you will, like we're looking at the day that Adam was fashioned before Shem. We're looking at the day that we're returning to our origin. We're looking at the day that we place the Shem on the throne. And that sets us up for the judgment that is going to be on Rosh Hashanah. So I was just wanting to point out that <clears throat> Rosh Hashanah is all about returning to our origin so that we keep making this loop because one day we actually will get back up there to that high level and actuality. Right now we have a semblance of it. So uh, were there any other tags and things like that that I missed just before I continue with the Sukkot? I want to tag on that about the place we're going back to Rosh Hashanah because uh, this, this is the same book, Modei Hashanah or Modei Hashanah. Mm -hmm. It says, on Rosh Hashanah, man has his natural true dimensions as he was in his original creation. Says on a person can destroy a world and he can build a world. The rest of the year, we don't have this strength to stand in that judgment. Says, Even Abraham, Yaakov, and Yosef were not free from, from judgment. Shmuel Hanavi, when his soul was called back to earth by Shaul HaMelech through a necromancer, shuddered in fear because he thought he was being brought to judgment. And he called in Moshe Rabbeinu to testify on his behalf that he had fulfilled the whole Torah. So what about us in this world on Yom Hadin? A Jew stands up and blows a ram's horn, and at that time, HaKadosh Baruch Hu arises from the throne of judgment and seats himself on the throne of mercy. mercy. So too, so to speak, a Jew changes the throne of Hashem. This is the power of Rosh Hashanah. And it says, it goes on a little bit uh, little bit more here but it basically says that the power of Rosh Hashanah is literally the Rosh like we can really change <laughs> we can really change if we believe that we can change wow and, that, and we have that that most the most of that potential comes to us on Rosh Hashanah wow so that's why uh, also this article is by V. Freeman and Mike Posner uh, and Menachem Posner, Slika. And they were talking about that the 10 days are the 10 sephirots of a human being where you're working from Keter, which is the crown, Rosh Hashanah, crown and king, shofar blast, all the way down to Malkut. And this is why we fast on Yom Kippur, because we're aligning the physical aspect to all the spiritual things that have happened up above. He likened it to Rosh Hashanah is cleaning the attic. And then Yom Kippur is cleaning the basement. <laughs> so you have this whole idea of truly birthing a new you uh, and truly having uh, all of that reflected. Okay, so... Rabbi Yosef Albo, here he goes, here he goes again, uh, in a lengthy dissertation explains that even if there were no halakhic problem regarding such prayers, they nevertheless would remain useless for pragmatic reasons. For one to be able to grant the needs of another on an ongoing basis, 
the provider must be eternal and unchanging. Then the beneficence will remain unchangingly appropriate and good for the recipient. Only God fits this requirement. So you want people to intercede for you. You want to recite the intercessory prayers. Technically, none of that can actually be done because only Hashem is eternal and unchanging and can provide beneficently uh, without end. B, it says the provider must be independent and not need the assistance of another party. Only God fits this requirement. So this is that whole thing I always like to think about. People get so caught up on Paul's letters. But if the person who was in charge of delivering the mail to that particular congregation died in transit, we would have never got like Corinthians or Romans, you know, chasve shalom, right? But just think about that for, for, for a moment, that the, the letters that Paul wrote had his emissaries who were sent with those letters you know something happened to them it would have never made it <laughs> would have been lost and, and many people stake their whole claims and um salvations on these things so again when we talk about the intercessors you know what could clog up these channels you know you think about the the damages of our sins and our thoughts you know, if we have bad thoughts, you know, what that creates and things like that. So it says, C, the provider must be able to supply items of opposite natures. For example, heat and cold, fire and water, because sometimes man needs one and at other times needs the other. Only God fits this requirement. D. There must be nothing in the world that can prevent the provider from fulfilling his desire. Only God fits this requirement. Thus, in order for prayer to be effective, it must be received favorably by God, even if it's directed elsewhere. So from a practical sense, prayer should be addressed only to God. This is Ikarim 417. Uh, so Rabbi Albo is bringing that down. So hopefully Yosef gets back because here's one of the first notes that I put down uh, for this. It says the Peytanim, which is the writers of the Piyutes, the different uh, liturgical prayers that are in the Slikot. It says who composed the controversial Slikot. <laughs> so those controversial writers, <laughs> it says uh, among whom were some of the great scholars and halakhic authorities of all generations. Think about that statement. That's kind of like, are you backhanding them? Are you complimenting them? What are, we, what are we doing here? It's like, these are great scholars, great halakh authorities, yet controversial writings come from these people. Question. It's, yes. Why is it controversial? Because we're asking angels to pray for oh. us or to take our prayers. Uh, we're, oh, okay. we're entreating not Hashem directly, but other mm -hmm. things that we mentioned earlier before. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Not that we're praying to them or worshiping them, but yeah. So it says, obviously held that such prayer is permitted. Those who justify this view cite a passage from Midrash Shir, Shir Asherim, and it says, not found in any extant editions. 
the congregation of Israel says to the angels standing at the heavenly gates of prayer and gates of tears, usher in my prayer and my tears before the Holy One, blessed is he, and act as advocates before him, that he pardon me both for intentional and inadvertent sins. And so it is said in Job 33, 23, if there be for him but one advocate angel from among a thousand, Shibole Haleket 282, Tanya Rabati, uh, uh, Kremlna edition, page 102A. So here's why I wrote in a lot of notes in the margins. So 1 Timothy 2, 1. So we talked about how the Zadikim are likened to angels or are greater than angels. Again, Avodah Zarah 11b, the Rebbe says that uh, Rabbi Khan, Khan, uh, what is his name again? I always want to make sure I quote this correctly. Uh, stand by. Because one of the sages was called an angel. Angel, uh, Rabbi Hanina Bar Chama, the Rebbe in Avodah Zarah, oh, Avodah 10b, the Rebbe calls Rabbi Hanina Bar Chama an angel. So, 1 Timothy 2 1. What does it say? It says, therefore, first of all, I urge that requests, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all people for kings and all who are in authority hence why we have the welfare of the government prayer on shabbat or any other time we want to recite that so we may live a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and respectfulness this is good and pleasing in the sight of god our savior he desires all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth for there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, a human, Mashiach Yeshua, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony at the proper time. That was a mouthful. Because <laughs> we talk about Mashiach and uh, existing before creation, but yet he's in the likeness of a, of a man. He's the word of God made flesh and all that. So the whole thing about uh, making intercession. So Shaul himself is speaking to Timothy and saying, hey, be, be an intercessor for people, you know? And here we have in the Shlikot that we're talking about all sorts of intercession that can be made. So we can act as intercessors in prayer as well. For instance, uh, there's a, uh, the prayer wall, the, the Kotel wall in Jerusalem that if you have people who you know are traveling to the hotel, you can actually give them prayers to put into that wall. This is a physical expression of, of things some of these sleek coats are actually expressing. Go ahead, Shira. So my question is, isn't talking about being an intersector, don't we usually pray for someone so we, our prayers will be answered? Wouldn't that be an intercession? Yeah, if you okay. have a specific need and you know someone else who has that same need, it's encouraged to pray for that person because in praying for their needs, Hashem will answer your needs as well. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. 
the angels take prayers from a minion and weave them together to bring before Hashem, but we don't ask them to do so. Sleekoth is so controversial because we make the request. Uh, is, so is this a question that you're asking, Georgia? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're asking them to, to basically like boost our prayers, take them to a shem for us. And so that's, yes, considered controversial because why are we praying to something other than a shem? Does that make sense? Yes. Thank you. I was just wondering because they say that they they weave it all together right when you're when someone's paying attention they grab it and then when another's paying attention they grab it so i was just wondering since they do that i mean that's not controversial i've never heard that it's controversial but saying that when you're specifically asking them to take it up that's that's where the controversy comes in yeah because we should we should be entreating hashem himself directly okay thank you Mm-hmm. So this go ahead. I was talking about this makes me think of that. Uh the scene where Mo Moshe is asking, he's praying to Hashem saying, Let me into the land, let me into the land. And then, like, if you ever read the midrash on it, like it's like all this crazy stuff that goes down. Like it's like pray for me. Or actually he's like he goes to the sun, the sun's like, I can't pray for you. And then the moon's like, I can't pray for you. And then uh, the sea's like, I can't pray for you. You know, the mountains are like, I'm not going to pray for you lest we be destroyed. He finally gets to where he asks Joshua and, and, and all of Israel, and they all start praying on behalf of Moshe. And this whole thing in Shemayim went, went down where, like, Hashem, Hashem made this decree. He's like, don't let any of their prayers get to me because uh, then I'll be answered. And so he, they started, all the angels started snatching up the prayers. Like they was just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how, I, in my head, it just, it just sounds like they're like snatching them out of the sky. I mean, I, I don't know how exactly they're snatching them, you know, uh, it's they got like a vacuum or something. I have no idea. Um, but, but that's how they paint the picture It's like they they were just grabbing the prayers and uh, just not letting them go to, go to a shim. And one of them, a group of angels were wanted to wanted to actually bring bring the prayers before Hashem because Hashem said, "If I hear the prayers, I'm going to I'm going to answer it," you know, and uh, and so basically they got really close to delivering the prayer to Hashem, and then like the angels of destruction like caught them and like you disobey Hashem, how dare you? And then like this whole and it was just crazy, but this whole thing like. Uh, where the the they weren't really praying there. I mean, they I, I don't know if they were, they weren't really praying to the angels or praying to Hashem, but Hashem no, yeah. the prayers to get to him. Like so, there is some kind of uh, relation there or something, you know. Uh, that, yeah, so. this is a uh, one of the things that Rabbi Raskin Shlita was talking about that uh, Memtet. Uh, is in charge of taking our prayers that we mispronounce and things like that. He corrects them, fixes them up so that they can be presented to Hashem as if they were perfectly recited. Can I share something? Of course. Okay. Here, Source has been presented. 
Yes. It says here, it is known that abundance uh, Shepa, abundance comes through Shepa. the angel Memtat. And in parentheses says, this is a holy angel and we are not allowed to disturb him by pronouncing his name. And we use the abbreviated version of his name. But in the future, it will be delivered directly through the Shekhinah with no intermediaries. So right now he is the intermediary. Oh my In gosh. a similar manner, the prayers of Bnei Israel now get elevated by an intermediary. But in the future, the Shahina will accept them directly. Also, the Shahina is wait, known wait, what as was that what, last sentence? It says that what right did now, you just say? <laughs> okay, then in a similar manner, the prayers of Bnei Israel now get elevated by an intermediary but in the future the Shekhinah will accept them directly also this Shekhinah is known as well in the above pasuk it says this whole big Hebrew phrase that means that in the future Israel will sing from the word uh, yeah she Yashir. And it will be come up well. The, to mean that Shehina should become elevated and then call it to mean that all the prayers and requests will be directly towards, towards it without the use of an intermediary. So he's saying here that right now we have an intermediary, just so you guys know. Wow. So Shamo said, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us much. And Yashir is the word you were talking about. And that means we we will sing or he will sing. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So John 14, 6 uh, through 21. So if we go there. Yeshua said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have come to know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. That's a big statement. <laughs> Knowing Hashem is seeing Hashem, <laughs> which is the expression of the existence of the Mashiach. So, verse 8, it says, Philip said to him, Master, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Side note, they're asking a human to ask him to show them Hashem. Back to Adam. <laughs> okay, so Yeshua said to him, have I been with you for so long a time? Makes up, make his salvation known among the nations. Nice. Uh, Yeshua said to him, have I been with you for so long a time and you haven't come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the father 
and the Father is in me. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father dwelling in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the works themselves. Amen, amen, I tell you, he who puts his trust in me, the works that I do, he will do, and greater than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Couple more verses. If you believe or if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you which is the whole thing about your Torah and my inward parts uh, from t- Psalm 119. And it says, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you in a little while. The world will no longer behold me, but you will behold me because I live. You will also live. This is cool too, because, you know, when the Mashiach ascended and even till this day, you know, like we're the only ones who can see him. We're the only ones who have him. You know, those of us who follow him remain in his words and things like that. Uh, Then it says, in that day, you will know that I am in my father. You are in me and I am in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and reveal myself to him. So end of that section. <laughs> All right. So um the other verse, John 16, starting at verse 10. Concerning righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged, I still have much more to tell you, but can't but you cannot handle it just now. This is another connection to Acts chapter two is that it took the revelation that descended upon them for that following Shavuot to help them be able to spiritually be receptive to everything that the Mashiach was ready to reveal to us. So it says that verse 13. Yeah. Hang on that real quick. Because there's a whole the whole deal about uh, the, 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 the they basically they didn't have. He's telling them that you can't receive this right now, right? Because they hadn't yet built, they hadn't yet had the the vessel to do so. Um, Correct. The vessel uh, is important. So th- this is this is interesting. Okay, so it says. This is a story. It says, I once sat with a young yeshiva boy 
who laid out, laid out his life's plans uh, before me. He said, in 20 years, he planned to have a clear grasp on all the shots. That's, that's the Talmud. Uh, it says, how he would learn an Amud of Gemara a day, and the next day he would review it, and so on and so forth. He says, when I heard this, I laughed. The boy was surprised. He says, why did I laugh? I said to him, let me tell you a story. He said, once before Rosh Hashanah, I delivered a shiur at a certain Moshav in the Negev. And I mentioned that in the Kedusha of Musaf on Rosh Hashanah, when the Hazan says the words, those words, it is written in early Torah sources and printed in many Maksorim, that one may ask Hashem for one of three things, righteous children, great wealth, or Ruach HaKodesh. So this, obviously she was talking about the Ruach HaKodesh, right? Yeah, he breathed on them, the spirit. Right, right. When he appeared to them. Well, <laughs> I'm just thinking about the revelation that they get, they received later, but he said they can't get it right now. Um it says, a man got up and declared in all innocence, I am asking for Ruach HaKodesh. I said to him, let's say you will be granted Ruach HaKodesh. Do you have proper abilities with which to hold it? To ask for children who are Zadikim is a valid option because it doesn't depend on, on the person making the request. It doesn't require you to have special kilim. But in order to merit Ruach HaKodesh, a person has to prepare the right receptacles in which to receive it. And this is what I said to the yeshiva boy with the plans to finish all the shots. This is, have you developed the kilim that are necessary for containing all this learning? And so anyways, that's maybe think of what you were talking about there. Because he did say, he's like, they, that they can't receive it now, but they'll, get, they'll receive it later. Right. So remember that connection about what, how do you get to Ruach HaKodesh from Avodah Zerah 20b? It says, from here, Rabbi Pinchas ben Ya'er would say, Torah study leads to care and the performance of the mitzvot. Care in the performance of mitzvot leads to diligence in their observance. Diligence leads to cleanliness of the soul. Cleanliness of the soul leads to abstinence abstention from all evil abstention from all evil leads to purity and the elimination of all base desires i.e the uh, desires of the flesh as is written in the letters purity leads to piety piety leads to humility humility leads to fear of sin fear of sin leads to holiness and holiness leads to Ruach HaKodesh. Which leads uh, to the Ruach HaKodesh. Yep. Uh, the Ruach leads to resurrection of the dead. And it goes, oh, got to mention this part. And piety is greater than all of them. As it is said, then you did speak in a vision to your pious ones. Psalms 89, 20. And this cross references with Second Peter, chapter one, verses five through seven. <clears throat> okay. So, uh, verse thirteen from John sixteen, but when the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. 
He will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will tell you. He will seek out. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said, the Ruach will take from what is mine and declare it to you. So, yeah. Uh, Continues. A little while and you will no longer see me. And again, in a little while you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by telling us a little while you will no longer see me? And again, in a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. Like, what does that all mean? They kept on saying, what's this he's saying? A little while, we don't know what he's talking about. (laughs) Yeshua knew that they wanted to question him. So he said to them, are you asking each other about this? That I said a little while and you will no longer see me. And again, in a little while, you will see me. Amen, amen, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will celebrate. You will be filled with sorrow, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, side note, Haftara, Parsha, Kitetse, sing out, O barren woman, Isaiah 54. Here it is, John 16, verse 21. When a woman is in labor, She has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. In that day, you will ask me nothing. We always talk about these questions we want to have before Hashem, right? And it's just like, well, actually, in that day, you won't have any questions. Everything is going to be like, boom. Because like in that day, you will know even as you're fully known. So it says, amen, amen, I tell you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Up to now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in metaphors. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in metaphors, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I'm not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Yep. So there's all your intercessor talk from the Mashiach himself. And put that with Ben Ishai. Um, Yochanan 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I selected you so that you would go and produce fruit and your fruit would remain. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So again, the whole Bishem Yeshua, the in the name of Yeshua, 
or in the merit of Yeshua, which is Biskut. So we also do the, the Biskut, the merit uh, of the Zadikim. So we have this whole aspect of the merits that appear before Hashem. And then Romans 8.34. The letter to Rome, chapter 8.34. Yeah, Hashem Yeshua is accurate. That's totally, yep. Um, it says, who is the one who condemns? It is Mashiach who died and moreover was raised and now at the right hand of God and who also intercedes for us. So there's now, that. You know, as I'm, as I'm, I don't know, as you're reading all this and just giving the slick code, talking about this and the time that we're in, uh, it's no wonder that like you got all these prayers bringing up the, uh, the angels, uh, or and in our case, Yeshua more specifically, because uh, we're really going to need it. You know yeah. I mean? Not that we don't, not that we didn't need before or are not going to need it after, but uh, it's just, it's in, it's, and I was just kind of sinking in right now that, um, that we should be saying B'Shem Yeshua uh, more often during these days. Uh, more so than the rest of the year. If you even think about that, uh, if you, according to, to, to some sources, say that Kefa gave us the Yom Kippur service in our totality. Uh, so just kind of interesting, even though we have, like in the Maxorim, we have specifically mention of Yeshua and all this. Yeah. Which is a shofar talk, by the way, because the whole thing with the shofar is it's the conduit to help us to return to Hashem. It represents the cry of our soul to return to its place of origin, the, the place that is pure, unhindered, un, undisconnected from Hashem, like the pure connection that our souls are supposed to have. That's also why we do so many shofarot blasts on Rosh Hashanah. And actually, we, we're supposed to do like a hundred shofar blasts. Who's on the bed? Rukashem. <laughs> so uh, the hundred shofar blasts correspond to the Samic Mem that we talked about is the Yetzahara. So through the hundred shofar blasts, just like the hundred brachot we recite a day, we bring the slaughtering of the evil inclination, the Yetzahara, and uh, nullify its prosecutions. So we have the hundred blessings, the hundred shofar blast, and all of that. <clears throat> yes, Shamo, that's the answer to your question. <laughs> so our son is learning how to get out of the bed now. Yes. Safely. So Baruch Hashem. He did it. He did it. Oh, how cute. <laughs> oh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. It's cute. It's, yeah. it's interesting how Hashem gives us real life illustrations with children and like Aww. how they grow and progress and, and do things, you know, that they couldn't previously do before. And uh, that's exactly how we're supposed to be spiritually. So uh, watching my son grow is definitely a testament to how Teshuvah is supposed to look in our lives. Mm -hmm. Man. So. All right, so uh, Romans 8, starting at verse 24, says, For in hope 
we are saved, but hope that is not hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. In the same way, the Ruach helps in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Ruach himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. So there's your Ruach, there's your Shofar Blast, there's your B'Shem Yeshua. Mm -hmm. So that was Romans 8, 24 through 26. And verse 27, and he who searches the hearts and knows the mind of the Ruach, because he intercedes for the holy ones according to the will of God. So Shaul brings down that it is according to the will of God that the Ruach HaKodesh intercedes for us. Which we just spoke in the preface of the sleek coat that the holy Torah or the throne of glory can be invoked and entreated for uh, prayers to Hashem. So we're almost done actually. This is one last paragraph. Another source for this viewpoint is in the Talmud, Rabbi Yochanan says, a person should always seek mercy, that all should invigorate and encourage him, and that he may not have enemies on high. Sanhedrin 44b. According to Rashi, this means that one should seek to have ministering angels plead, for, plead mercy for him and not become his accusers in heaven. Hmm. So, yeah, Sanhedrin 44b and Rashi even thinks that we should seek to have ministering angels plead mercy for us and not become our accusers. So now we're asking angels, hey, please don't persecute me. Yeah, Rashi. I literally wrote in the margin, um, really? <laughs> Rashi? I'm sure he did not drink too much wine when he said that. Because, you know, Rashi was a wine dealer. <laughs> wine maker. Sleek eye. Yes. Oh, wow. So it's like, I'm sure he wasn't drunk, as we suppose, when he said that. <laughs> um, anyway, another Talmudic passage is cited. Rav Yehuda said, a person should never request his needs in the Aramaic tongue. And Rabbi Yochanan said, if anyone requests his needs in the Aramaic tongue, the ministering angels ignore him. <laughs> For the angels do not understand Aramaic. Shabbat 12b. <laughs> uh, according to Rabbi Sharira, Gaon, Rav Yehuda, and Rav Yochanan are speaking of a person who directs his request to an angel. One who speaks directly to God, however, may use any language. Mm. Rabbi Sharira explains, although angels have no independent power to grant bounty or withhold it, some angels are given parameters within which they may function at their own discretion. Oh, wow. Now you have an angel with a wheel? <sighs> 
Ain't, this angel has come a long way from having no knees. Because <laughs> the whole thing about the uh, the angels aren't, there's no sitting in heaven. The angels don't have knees. So they're always standing before Shem. That's why we pray with our feet together during the Shemona Esrei. Yeah. Uh, it goes on to say, for example, an angel may be assigned to accompany a traveler and protect him from harm along the road. Nevertheless, the guardian is permitted to remove his protection if the wayfarer acts, sin, uh, acts sinfully. Thus, when God informed Moshe that he should, that he would send an angel to lead and protect the nation on the way to Eretz Israel, he warned, be careful before him, follow his words, do not rebel against him, for he will not forgive your rebelliousness. Because my name is within him. Exodus 23, 21. Wow. So may the angel who redeems me from all evil that uh, Yaakov was talking about, that also was with Yitzhak, that was also with Abraham, that Abraham also sent with Eliezer to go find a bride for Yitzhak, that angel, that's the same angel from Exodus 23. And that's the same angel who's known as the prince of the face, the minister of the face. So so is that the same angel who came to visit Abraham when he had his bit milah? And how about the other two? There were three, right? Yeah, there were three. Those were considered to be Mikael, Raphael, and I think Uriel, according to the Talmud or the commentary on that uh, particular section, I have a whole file about uh, Memtet. Um, I don't know if I can find it off the top of my head right now, but there's a whole codification of the Targum of this particular angel and it goes through every single time this angel appears uh and one of them is genesis 22 when uh abraham is offering up yitzhak and the angel says by myself i swear and he's speaking with hashem's words and speaking in the voice of hashem wow which um gedai of bet yisrael um he was the one that was mentioning in his commentary on the Parsha that this is how the Talmudim of Mashiach uh, viewed Yeshua. They, they viewed him as the same way you would view that angel that spoke in Genesis 22, that he's speaking with the words of Hashem. He's speaking with the voice of Hashem. So like basically a flesh and blood bot coal, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. So that is the end of the preface to Sleek Hoped. Wow.